When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, January 5th. The first quarterfinal Friday of the 2024 season is now officially in the books. And on a day that saw Arena Sabalenka earn a victory, Elena Rabakina earn a victory, Linda Naskova knocks out Mira Andreeva in the battle of teenagers, Sasha Zverev straight sets over Stefano Tsitsipas. All those things happened within the day and so much more. And yet our headline result, it belongs to Jordan Thompson. As the Aussie comes back from three match points down, to knock out Rafael Nadal in the Brisbane quarterfinal. That, of course, is where I'm going to start today's podcast as we get into everything that's unfolded over the last 24 hours. Again, it's been a really fun week number one of the 2024 season. Yes, we're in the honeymoon phase. All tennis is good tennis right now as we've missed it with this offseason unfolding over the past six weeks, but the level of play has been phenomenal. And again, I got plenty of observations to share with all of you listeners today as we look forward to our first championship weekend of the season. Again, where am I going to start? Has to be Brisbane. Rafa had three match points, two of them shots on his racket to end the match that he was unable to convert. It was uncharacteristic errors, ultimately plaguing Nadal down the home stretch of that match as Thompson's able to knock him off in three. Who's going to be joining Jordan Thompson in those Brisbane semifinals? We'll talk about that. We'll get into the women's side of things where it's shaping up to be a really fun championship weekend. Rabakina Naskova, Azarenka Sapalenka, that Azarenka Ostapenko match maybe on any other day would be the headliner. Just some a clinic in power tennis, a three-set win for Vika. I'll break down here today as we set up those semifinal matches over in Hong Kong. How about Jerry Shung? Oh my goodness. He might have been your most impressive performer of the day as the 18-year-old from China. He gave Francis Tiafo the business. That match was played on Shung's terms, and for an 18-year-old to do that, to, in my opinion, an unequivocal top 20 player in the world, it speaks to his upside. It speaks to something just clicking this week in Hong Kong as he reaches his first tour-level semifinal. Of course, he is joined by guys like Andre Rublev, Emil Rusevori, and perhaps your surprise semifinalist of the week in Sebastian Ofner. We'll break that down. We'll look at Auckland, the All-American semifinal, Coco Goff versus Emma Navarro. You've got Svitolina looking the part as well. She'll take on the lefty Wang Shiyu. Again, that's your off-the-brain synopsis of everything that unfolded over the last 24 hours, but I want to get into more depth, obviously, here throughout the course of today's episode. Of course, before we do, thank you to all of you listeners who continue to tune in day in, day out. We will have podcasts for you tomorrow, Sunday, as well as we celebrate the start of a new season. After that, we'll probably be back on the Monday through Friday grind. The reason for that is, of course, we are getting ready to kick off our coverage of the 2024 college tennis season. We're going to have a lot of broadcasts available for you, whether it's on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel or on various 
watch ESPN platform. So if you are interested in getting into college tennis, and I promise you, listeners of this podcast, you may be more pro-centric right now. You'll watch one college tennis match, and you'll understand why we've fallen in love with the level here at Crack Rackets. Give it a go, and to get prepared, go check out the Great Shot Podcast, where we have previewed our top 10 teams entering the 2024 season, of course. You can also check out our interviews with players, coaches, over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed, and you can watch a lot of our content moving forward on our YouTube channel. So as always, I'll ask, subscribe, like, rate, review. Helps us with the sponsors. It's always much appreciated, and we appreciate all the kind words so many of you have expressed on social media of late. Of course, a shout-out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support of this show as well. For all of the latest and greatest products at the best prices in the tennis world, just go to tennis-point.com today. Use our promo code CR15. Not only will you get off 15% off all sale items, excuse me, you'll also get free shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, Tennis-Point, symbol, not the spelling, Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, I hate to go mainstream on all of you listeners, but I think we do have to start with that Rafa loss. And again, all credit to the 29-year-old Jordan Thompson on home soil to get this sort of win, to overcome a three-match point deficit against Rafael Nadal. It's a massive moment for the Aussie to advance not only to a semifinal this early in the season, but you look for Thompson hadn't reached a tour-level semifinal since June of last season on the grass courts. You look for him overall in his career at the tour level. This is just semifinal number five for the 29-year-old. So fantastic start to his 2024 as he tries to make another top 50 push, try to surpass his career high of 43, which he reached back in 2019. Again, Thompson was absolutely excellent last night. And I thought more than anything else, the physicality he displayed, that ability to short hop the Rafael Nadal forehand and take his backhand almost on the rise at shoulder height every time. And, you know, again, almost use Rafa's topspin entirely as the generator of his own pace on that wing. It's a really difficult thing to try and sustain over the course of three and a half hours, but he did that exceptionally well. He turned on those backhands down the line and tried to get Rafa stretched into the outer third whenever possible, played so many different balls, whether it was forehand or backhand wing down the line to put any sort of pressure on Nadal, did a great job of sneaking forward whenever those opportunities generated, uh, he generated for themselves presented themselves. It was a really strong performance for Jordan Thompson. I cannot compliment him enough. You do have to obviously point to the uncharacteristic errors Rafa made on match points. In particular, his first two, the high backhand volley, which he tried to hit a high backhand drop volley on on his first match point on Thompson. Obviously, that's a high degree of difficulty shot. It's a shot we've seen Rafa make, certainly, but yeah, maybe you question that choice given how stretched Thompson was. And if you didn't see that first match point, it was an extended rally. It was first Thompson, who was the aggressor, sneaking forward. Rafa gets a bump lob over his head. Thompson has to hit this falling back lob that, again, sits up high on the Rafa backhand volley wing. And he got cute with it. Ends up missing it in the net tape. Again, that's a really difficult shot to do anything with. It's easy to say when you're sitting on your couch, why don't you just try to drive that one or make it more than anything else? And you do feel like, I don't know why Rafa didn't just make it more than anything else. You feel like that's a ball Rafa puts in and says, all right, if Thompson comes up with something else there, too good for him. Rafa got a little cute on that first match point. But 
again, it was a great scramble that by Thompson. He was the aggressor to start the point. I don't hate that match point. It was the match point number two miss that was so uncharacteristic. 6-4 in that second set breaker. Rafa had an easy plus one forehand. He just sprayed it long and wide. And that's, again, an uncharacteristic miss from Rafa at 6-4. The 6-5 point, Thompson hit a fantastic forehand down the line. Nothing Rafa can do about that one. That was just fantastic execution from Thompson. Then again, Jordan gets the early break in the third set. Rafa, little ginger, moving in and out of those corners, definitely stiffened up from a movement perspective in set number three. And Thompson just continued to swing freely, continued to be the aggressor. Again, a massive moment for Jordan Thompson. Fifth career ATP Tour semifinal for him, now 43-27 and 27 in his last 52 weeks of play. That's how you build yourself back up to the top 50 of the rankings, albeit whether in singles or, uh, excuse me, at the challenger or ATP level. And with this result, Thompson back up to number four. 47 in the live rankings. That's right where he wants to be during this hardcore swing to go and play Indian Wells and Miami. And no, I'm getting in on the main draw or I'm getting in on my own. Excuse me again. A fantastic, fantastic start to Jordan Thompson's season. If you're Rafa, you know, glass half empty, if you want to be the Debbie Downard, yeah, he certainly physically declined throughout the course of that match. But He had three match points, and that second match point in particular, he makes that forehand 93 out of 100 times. It was an uncharacteristic, unforced error. Even that high backhand volley, he probably makes that 70 out of 100 times. Two uncharacteristic errors piled up against one another. That was the margin, and and a great Thompson forehand. That was the difference in this one. It was still 6-3 in the third. It was 30-all in that 5-3 service game for Jordan Thompson. And again, maybe... The most uncharacteristic error of them all from Rafa came on the match point at this extended 20-plus shot rally where it was Rafa who seemed to run out of juice at the end of that rally and spray a backhand long to finally seed Thompson the match. He's a little older now. Like, what? Rafa's 37. He's coming off of an injury, an injury-plagued season. He's coming off of a year where he played a grand total of four matches. He hasn't played a match since January of last season, entering this week. To expect him to be 27-year-old Rafa coming off of an injury is just unrealistic expectations at this point for the 22-time slam champion. He still, despite all that, had three match points. So I think you're glass half full if you're Rafa coming off of this week. Do you expect him to win the Australian Open? No. I mean, again, good wins for him over team, over Coopler. He could have gotten off the court in straight sets in this match. And if he does that, then I think all of us are saying, yeah, you know, again, Thompson was able to apply a little bit of pressure on him and play some serious offense. But you look for Rafa overall in the match. He faced just three break points in this one. He was broken twice in the match total. Won 73% of his first serve points, made them at a 73% clip. He did a lot of things right throughout the course of this match. Yeah, he ran out of juice down the home stretch of a three-and-a-half-hour match, but it's his first week back, and he was very open in the post-match press conference. Let's see how the body feels as he recovers tomorrow, the next couple of days. I think if you're looking at Rafa's week one, you probably give the grade just a straight-up B because when he was in control, when he was on his terms, he was dominant. 
but obviously as he got pushed down the home stretch and things did become physical, he did start to labor a little bit, and that's certainly notable as you head into a three out of five set event in that Aussie summer heat. Anyways, credit to Jordan Thompson. Three set victory, fifth career tour level semifinal, a date now with Grigor Dimitrov awaits, and again, we can kind of cruise through the rest of Brisbane. I don't think it was the most intriguing day of matches there. Dimitrov, dominant against Riki Hijikata, was never in doubt, a 1-4 victory. Hijikata just wasn't ready for the pace that Grigor Dimitrov provides behind every forehand, every plus-one ball, the combination of shots he can hit. And Rinky went into the belly of the beast. Dimitrov was able to bait him into attacking his on-the-run forehand. And Dimitrov is just moving so well, hitting that ball so crisply. I did the big Dimitrov rant yesterday, so I won't do it again today. But he's been a top-eight player now for six months consecutively. And he belongs on a dark horse list. Do I think he can win the Australian Open? No. Could he get to a semifinal? Could he beat a Rublev? Could he beat a Zverev? Could he beat a Tsitsipas? Could he really hang with a sinner in Alcaraz, a Djokovic? Give them, those guys, a Medvedev a run in four sets? Absolutely. Grigor's playing some really good ball. He's the favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, 50.9%. Obviously helps that he's got Jordan Thompson versus the other side of things, where you've got a really fun battle. Two outstanding ball strikers. Holgaruna taking on Roman Safulin. Safulin yesterday, 7-6-6-2 over Matteo Arnaldi. That first set was exceptional. And look, the pace for Roman Safulin just comes so easy. His contact point on that forehand is gorgeous. His ability to extend through that ball, his ability to change direction with that ball, his ability to flatten out that shot. Federer-esque in how condensed the backswing is, and I don't say that lightly, but look, Romo's 41-24 and now over his last 52 weeks of play. It's semifinal number two for him at the tour level uh, in his last three months. You look for him in his career now, tour level semifinals for Roman Sefuel, and he's now reached a grand total of five of them as well. So, excuse me, it's his fourth because this includes ATP Cup. Three of the four have come in the last 16 months. And by the way, all five, or including ATP Cup, all of his success have come on hard courts. I think he's one of the 25 best hardcore players in the world we have right now. And I think we've seen that level from him, not just in the semifinals of late, but over the last six months more broadly. Again, Wimbledon quarterfinals, really fun five-set match against Tommy Paul that he loses in the second round of the U.S. Open, but then makes the final in Chengdu where he beat Evans, Thompson, Musetti, loses a three-setter to Zvira, but then beats him the next week in Shanghai, round of 16 in Paris, where, of course, he beat Alcaraz. Now, this week wins over top 50 hardcore players, Shelton, Popperin, and Arnaldi. Safulin's been that good of late. Talk about dark horse guy, a guy who could come in. You know, again, I don't know if he will be seated. Right now, he's 39 in the world entering the week. He's 36 in the live rankings. I would assume he won't be seated at the Australian Open. He could end up in a fourth round. He could end up in the quarterfinals. Again, his ability to take the ball early on the rise, change directions off of both wings. The backhand backswing is so pure. Second serve hangs a little bit, but for a guy who's not 6'3", 6'4", he hits its spots really well on his serve. Again, the contact point is just beautiful. A fantastic ball striker. It's a name you all got to get familiar with. I think he's going to have a top 25 season. This is going to be, if he stays healthy, Roman Safulin is just playing top 25 ball right now, period. Now, can he sustain his game? Is a little flatter. How's it going to look on clay courts? 
that's an open question against elite competition, but on these hard courts, he's going to have a big opening three months of the year playing some really good ball. He's going to push Holger Runa tomorrow because, again, Arnaldi played well. Like, Arnaldi is Charlie Hustle. Arnaldi tracks down everything. Watching him, you feel that effort bleed through the screen. It was just a little bit too difficult for him to generate pace at an elite level and make things easy for himself against Sefulin. And I think that inability to create easily for himself, maybe that caps Arnaldi's ceiling as like a top 20 guy as opposed to top 15, top 10, maybe even top 25. Because I think athletically, again, he's really fluid, really solid off of both wings and just hustles so damn hard. Does he have the elite weaponry, though, to be, you know, compete with the best of the best? Which, if that's what you're asking about a guy, I think that speaks to how highly I think of his game. Still, good win for Safulin, good win for Runa, 2-6 and six over James Duckworth. Duckworth stepped up. His aggression was pound in the forehand and set two, but Runa was better at everything. Holger's played some solid ball here this week. Wins over Purcell, Shevchenko, Duckworth. He's going to have to step up his level, obviously, taking on Safulin. That's a really fun semifinal match. Runa the favorite uh, in that one. Dimitrov, again, the favorite to win right now on the men's side of things in Brisbane. On the women's side of things, buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be a fun championship weekend as, again, Semi-final matchup, Sabalenka versus Vika, Rabakina versus Noskova. And let's start with the Noskova side of things because, you know, obviously that Noskova and Driva matchup was one I was hyping up on yesterday's podcast. Shout out to Linda Noskova, whose pace just overwhelmed Andriva. 7-5-6-3 victory ultimately for the 19-year-old Czech. And this was really my first deep dive. This is my first full Mira Andriva match experience, I should say. And I'm not saying I haven't watched more than an hour of, like, less than an hour of film of Mira Andriva to this point. I've watched plenty of Andriva in clips and 15 minute bits, but this was my first full start to finish experience. And let me just say again, for someone who is 16 years old, Andriva is ridiculous. Ridiculous as an athlete. In and out of the corners, the fluidity is just already there. Her ground strokes are really handsy. And what I mean by that is she plays that ball close to her body. And, you know, again, when she's at her best, she's extending through that ball. She's Her momentum is moving forward. And because she can play the ball a little bit closer to her body, you're never quite sure if she's going to extend cross-court, if she's going to go down the line, if she's going to change direction on you. And that little bit of disguise certainly helps her because... I wouldn't say she generates elite pace. She generates really good pace, but I wouldn't say it's elite of the elite. Noskova just generates elite pace. Noskova's backhand center, backhand line, just backhand drive was the biggest weapon on the court in this match and was able to get into the body of Andriva. It was able to generate some errors off of Andriva's racket. And, you know, again, it was Noskova often being the one dictating the terms of play more frequently than Andriva. There were a lot of breaks of serve in this match, and Again, it was a very physical match. I do think at times when Andriva right now is pressured by pace, she'll pop a ball up and it will sit up to be attacked. And Noskova did a really good job of changing direction on those shots because, again, that ball kind of gets into the body of Mira Andriva a little bit. But, I mean, she's so athletic. She's tall, too, and so she can extend into it. And, look, she's great at changing direction. She's great at hitting her forehand line, hitting this high, loopy ball to make you uncomfortable. And then changing direction on you by snapping into a backhand at the last second line. I really liked what I saw from both players. But again, Andriva was just more consistent and more... De- was It was just more clear 
in her game plan, what she wanted to do, how she wanted to attack Andriva, and she was more decisive and again, taking that ball early on the rise. This was a really good performance for Linda Noskova, who again, finaled this event last year, had a ton of points she had to defend this week, now reaches the semifinal of this 500 level event as such. You know, she dropped 11 spots from 40 to 51 in the live rankings, but only 11 spots and is still alive and perhaps able to make them up as she will take on Elena Rabakina uh, for the second time in her career. Rabakina beating Noskova 3-3 three and three at Roland Garros last year. Rabakina 6-1 opening set over Potapova. Potapova then forced to retire. I said on yesterday's podcast, I thought that might be the case as Potapova played an extraordinarily physical match against Kudermatova the night before. Uh, again, Rabakina has looked really good this week. She's going to get tested by some serious pace against Linda Noskova, and yet there's just a disparity. Noskova's first serve is good. The Rabakina's second serve is just a level above Noskova's right now. I just think it's going to be a little bit easier for Rabakina to be the aggressor in return games than Noskova, who is so apt at taking her backhand return on the rise and using that as the table setter in her return games. It's going to be a little bit harder for her to do that against Rabakina. I also think Rabakina's pace might cause some problems for Noskova's forehand. That backswing can be a little bit big on her. And again, if you can play with elite pace, and it has to be elite, and that's what Rabakina has, elite pace into that forehand wing, I think it might be a problem for Noskova right now. Still, Noskova was excellent. I really liked what I saw from Andriva, and it's a good opening quarterfinal for her at a 500-level event to kick off the 16-year-old season. Uh, Noskova versus Rabakina is going to be very fun. Rabakina, the 78.6% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Top half is going to be fascinating as well. Arena Sabalenka, 6-1-6-4 over Daria Kasekina. Match looked exactly as you expected. Yes, there were moments when Kasekina could get Sabalenka stretched. Yes, there were moments where some errors leaked into Sabalenka in those second set, uh, in that second set, but everything was on Arena's terms. And again, thus far, three and zero over Bronzetti, one and zero over Julian, one and four over Daria Kasatkina. She's looked like someone competing for world number one status, someone trying to defend her Australian Open crowd. Another strong performance from Sabalenka, who's taking on a very much informed Victoria Azarenka. Azarenka's come out of the gates fit, focused, striking the ball brilliantly. Her match yesterday against Ostapenko was just excellent. Again, a clinic in power tennis. Vika, 6-3-3-6-7-5, ultimately able to knock out Ostapenko. Did we see many 10-plus shot rallies? Absolutely not. Did we see Ostapenko step up her level in that second set in response to Vika taking the first? We really did. And Vika did a great job in that opening set playing backhand slice and just getting Ostapenko out of center, making Ostapenko lateral or forward movements. Just again, nothing was on balance for Ostapenko in set number one. Yelena didn't let that be the case in set number two, was striking her backhand down the line as well as anyone can hit a backhand down the line, period. And that's how she took that 6-3 second set after Vika took the first 6-3. The third set was just war, a back-and-forth affair. Again, momentum shifts, Vika breaks, Ostapenko gets the break back. In the end, Vika just a little bit more fluid, and not a little bit. She was the better mover. She was better on defense. She was able to extend rallies one shot far more frequently than Ostapenko was. But again, this was a clinic in first strike tennis. This is These are two players who, if they are hot entering the Australian Open, they can absolutely make a quarterfinal or further run and beat 
an Iga, beat a Sabalenka, beat a Rabakina, Pagula, a Goff on the right day. Now, can they beat two of them, three of them consecutively? I have yet to see that. If Fika goes out and beats Sabalenka here in Brisbane, then maybe the answer to the question for her is yes. But again, Vika and Ostapenko right now are playing top eight level tennis. Like that was extraordinary power tennis. And Vika's moving really well to start the year, which means maybe she's healthy for the first time and had that offseason to just work everything off, get fit, get focused, work off all the injuries is what I meant by that. And just, you know, again, be well rested. She's come out of the gate swinging. I'm very excited for her matchup with Sabalenka. Sabalenka three and one in the career head to head. All of those matchups, by the way, on hard courts thus far. But that one's going to be a fun one to watch. And again, right now, Sabalenka the favorite, 46.9 to win the event according to Tennis Abstract. Rabakina right behind her at 41.2. That is all of your Brisbane action. Let's talk United Cup now because it's not every day you get a Stefano Tsitsipas Sasha Zverev battle and. Again, there's an alternate universe where that rivalry is the defining rivalry right now on the ATP Tour, where those two capture a slam early in their career and are able to take, again, I said parallel universe, let's be perfectly clear, Uh, but I'll tell you what, Sasha Zverev is just playing top five tennis again. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Zverev, four and four over Tsitsipas, found the Tsitsipas backhand whenever he needed to, breaks for 4-3 up in that first set by drawing a couple of backhand errors out of Tsitsipas and then is able to hold the rest of the way down the home stretch there in set number two. Again, it's by finding that backhand wing, uh, ultimately getting Tsitsipas to pop something up, then changing direction with his own backhand, stepping into a forehand, moving forward, Zirov serving particularly well. The movement's just back. His ankle is healthy. He had that offseason to get back in the weight room, and you can tell, again, he has his strength back as well and how he's hitting the serve and the pace with which he's hitting his ground strokes. Zverev is just playing top five tennis again. You saw flashes of it certainly down the home stretch of last season. I thought he was the fifth best men's player in the world. Obviously, the win over Sinner uh, at the U.S. Open sort of indicative of that fact. He was, you know, the fact that he beats Elkaraz at the tour finals. He was really the one guy outside of those top four, Djokovic, Sinner, Medvedev, and Elkaraz, to beat one of those guys with any sort of duplicity, I suppose, on court. Um, Four and four over Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas didn't play poorly. It was just Zverev had the mechanism of I can find your backhand and you can't find my forehand with as much success. And I thought Zverev was actually hitting his forehand cross pretty well also. So four and four performance for Sasha Zverev, who is the fifth best guy to me in the world right now as we approach the 2024 Australian Open. Of course, Zverev's victory came down one love overall in that United Cup tie and ultimately Germany able to take the, the tie 2-1 over Greece as Sigamon Sasha Zverev 3-3 three three win over Sakari and Petros Tsitsipas in the mixed doubles. That is a very potent team, by the way. Laura Sigamon's, what, 1-2 in the world right now in women's doubles? And again, Zverev's just going to keep that ball in play until Sigamon has an opportunity to poach or something gets floated for her to put away at the net, which she does with such proficiency. It's a really potent mixed doubles team. I think they're the favorites over Australia in their semifinal bout. But I do got to give some credit to Maria Sakkari. She was excellent against Angelique Kerber yesterday. And it was really difficult for Kerber to manufacture much pace on her own to be the aggressor. And as such, again, 
Sakari was just better than Kerber at everything yesterday. Her serve had more pop. Her plus one forehand was the biggest weapon on the court. She could change will, uh, change direction at will with her backhand. I thought she was hitting her backhand line with real authority. Sakari's played really well. All United Cup. Again, a couple of straight set victories racked up. Yeah, she got pushed, got a little shaky, and I forget which match it was for Greece. But again, ultimately, I think it was, was it the Canada match? No, yeah, the Canada match, she beats Leila Fernandez. She gets a win over Angelique Kerber here. Uh, it was the, she gets an 0-1 win over Seguel as well. Yeah, she went undefeated in singles in this week. She didn't drop a set this week uh, in her United Cup ties Sakari is playing good ball right now to start this 2024 season, and you certainly saw it. It was just the fact that it took so much effort for Kerber to win any sort of point yesterday against Maria Sakari. Speaks to how locked in she is physically, and then again, she was able to hit winner. She was able to dictate with her serve, her forehand. Uh, but ultimately, Zverev Siegman, they were really good in the doubles, and so ultimately, they advanced. They're going to take on Australia. I think the final is ultimately going to be Germany versus Poland. I would expect both Hercots to beat Manorino and Iga to beat Caroline Garcia. Kerber Tomjanovic is going to be fun in that Germany-Australia battle. I think Zverev's going to beat Diemenauer if it comes down to mixed doubles there. I don't know, man. The Aussies can fight in mixed doubles. That's going to be a really fun tie. I would lean Germany. I'm still taking Poland. Give me the team with Iga above all else. Her and Hubie won a match 0-0 in mixed doubles. It was like the first time that had happened in 17 years or something. But I'll be locked into United Cup. Don't worry. We'll have continued updates for you on this podcast moving forward. Uh, obviously, two other events I want to talk about before we wrap today's show. And apologies for the lack of intro-outro music. Westoff just acclimating himself back to Indianapolis lifestyle today. But let's go to Auckland next as we've got an All-American semifinal that I think is fixing to be quite fun as Coco Goff will take on Emma Navarro. Goff was just on a different level than Vavara Gracheva, a one-in-one. And man, Goff has looked untested this week in the best possible way. Her opponents just have not been able to sustain any sort of offense with any sort of consistency enough to hurt her in any sort of sense. Again, 4-2 and two over Claire Lou, 3-0 and oh over Fruvertova. The first 30 minutes were great. After that, Fruvertova was clearly trying to rip winners early in rallies because she knew she was going to lose the longer ones, and Coco Goff turned that match into a track meet. And then again, against Gracheva, it was everything just kind of overwhelmed her. It's been a really good opening week for the 2023 U.S. Open champion. And now she's going to face a fellow American in Emma Navarro, who just quietly very quietly works her way to another tour level semifinal navarro 4 and 3 over petra martic with this result she's up to a career high 31 or is going to sustain that ranking right now in the live rankings of course this moves her to 67 and 24 overall over her last 52 weeks of play it's semifinal number 12 for her overall in her last 52 weeks of play and perhaps most impressively it's her third tour level semifinal overall one of them on grass courts two of them on hard courts but of course she's had some 100k success on the clay courts as well so I said this all off season when asked about Emma Navarro she's just solid everywhere does she have an overwhelming weapon no although I do love her ability to match the pace of her opponent particularly on the forehand wing she's a tennis chameleon she's as good as the opponent across the net from her oftentimes one shot better not an elite athlete, but pretty fluid everywhere. The technique is crisp. She's comfortable volleying. And again, she can amp up the pace. The harder you hit the ball at her forehand, the harder she can hit it back at you. 
it's a really solid semifinal run for her to kick off her season and, again, makes up for it because she played so many ITF events last year. You make one tour-level semifinal, you've now made up for about four of your 60K successes, which she had plenty of last year. So big week for Emma. Obviously a serious test for her now. First career head-to-head matchup against Coco Goff. It will be fascinating to see how that one unfolds on the bottom half of the draw. Man, was Wang Shiyu excellent yesterday. So disciplined in a 6-7-6-3-6-4 victory over Diane Perry. And look, the Perry-serve forehand combination is potent. When she connects on that forehand, moves forward behind it, she's a springy first step, an explosive, twitchy athlete. The problem is Wang Shiyu, the lefty, just with her heavy forehand topspin, got that ball into the backhand of Diane Perry with such discipline whenever necessary. Perry just couldn't come over the top of it in, with that one-hander. Hander would resort to slice, and oftentimes that ball jammed her. That's when the errors came down the home stretch. Still, there were some magnificent moments for Perry. A passing shot she hit to fight off a match point at 4-5 amongst them. I'm still buying stock in Diane Perry. I think that backhand's going to continue to progress, but that was a really disciplined performance from Wang Shiyu, who can absolutely just whip that lefty forehand and did so with such pace. Shiyu now into a semifinal, uh, excuse me, at the tour level for, what is it, the second time in the last four months. She made a similar run to the final in Guangzhou at the end of September. You look for her tour level semifinals overall now in her career. Wang Shiyu into her fifth tour level semifinal. All of them have come on hard courts with this result, by the way. She is back up to number what? 62 in the live rankings, up nine spots here this week. She'll take on Alina Svitolina, whose most impressive part of her semifinal victory, 6-love, six 6-3 six over Marie Boschkova. I mean, she was striking the ball so brilliantly. In set number one, moving forward with such freedom and just nothing Boschkova was doing could hurt her. She was finding that Boschkova forehand with pace. Boschkova was popping it up. Svitolina was moving in behind it. Everything was working. Then all of a sudden, Boschkova's up 3-1, love 40, looking for a double break on Svitolina, and Svitolina wins the next five games and just locked back in as the best players in the world do. And again, she's playing top 15 tennis this week in Auckland. Wins over Radakanu, Boschkova, and Caroline Wozniacki. That's a real run here in Auckland. Now she's going to face probably the most powerful player to date in the powerful lefty, Wang Shiyu. Again, I would love to watch her play the winner of Navarro or Goff. If it's a matchup against a top 10 Goff, then you'll get a real litmus test. What is Alina Svitolino's level heading into the Australian Open? She wins that match. You got to put her on the dark. She won't even be a dark horse contender at that point because everyone will be talking Alina Svitolina if she goes on and wins this Auckland title, particularly with a win over Coco Goff. Those are two fantastic semifinal battles. Again, on the women's side are four semifinals this week. I think, yeah, two of the four are top 35 battles with Navarro Goff, Vika versus Sabalenka. Noskova's going to be top 35 sooner rather than later, and she's taking on Rabakina. And then Wang Xiu's got top 50 power, taking on a top 30 Alina Svitolina. It's a fantastic opening championship weekend uh, on the WTA side of things. Certainly, again, we'll have an update on how that action unfolds for all of you listeners tomorrow. Right now, Goff, still the prohibitive favorite in Auckland, 78.5% according to Tennis Abstract. And then, how about Hong Kong, where... Maybe your most impor- uh, impressive, excuse me, most impressive performer of the day 
was Jerry Shong as the 18-year-old into his first career tour-level semifinal in dominant fashion. Four and four over Francis Tiafo. Jerry's pace gave Francis fit. It's been a long time since I have seen someone pressure Francis's forehand with such pace and depth that, you know, again, that technique becomes a serious problem for Francis. And that's exactly what Jerry did. Just the depth of his backhand, how deep and how low, how flat that backhand came into Francis's forehand. It just forced Francis to pop a bunch of things up. And again, Jerry's hitting the inside out forehand with ease. He's hitting the forehand line with ease. He's hitting the backhand cross with ease. Jerry played lights out tennis. I've never seen him play that well. And this is coming off of a week where he's already won two marathon three-set matches. And this hour 29 performance was his best to date. Again, first career tour-level semifinal for Shung, who with this result now up to a new career high, number 142 in the live rankings. I believe he was a wild card recipient into the main draw of the Australian Open. I would want no part of him in round number one if I am any of these players in the draw because... Again, the lefty's just moving so much better. And that, you know, again, his ability to strike the tennis ball has never been the issue. This is a guy who made, uh, won his first challenger title in Lexington at the age of 17. You know, a guy who was having significant futures level success at the age of 16 as well. A guy who's just been on the radar if you are a Colette Lewis reader. And it seems like this is going to be the breakout season again for him to end 2023 on a five match losing streak. Now he comes out and makes his first tour level semifinal wins over top 50 players in Laszlo Gera, Botik van de Senschulp, and now Francis Tiafo again played two, three and a half hour matches before this hour and a half win where he faced just one break point. He made just 46% of his first serves wins this match four and four. And again, it's because every rally he was putting such pace, uh, such pressure on that Tiafo forehand that Francis was just handcuffed. There was nothing he could do. That's how well Jerry was striking the ball. It was it was a stunning level uh, from the 18-year-old. Again, he is up to a new career high, 142 in the live rankings. As a result, biggest victory of his career sends him to his first tour-level semifinal where a date with Andre Rublev awaits and Credit to Rublev, 6-4-1-6-6-2. He knocks out, excuse me, Arthur Fee. He had Fee so far behind the baseline to start that match, and it was just too defensive out of the gates for Fee, who struggled. He has a little bit bigger backswing on that forehand side, and the pace of Andre Rublev was just giving him fits. But boy, did he step up his aggression in set number two. Boy, did he start swinging more freely. That said, again, Rublev got back to the well, steadied himself, Six four one six six two. That's a really good win. Really good win for Andre Rublev to kick off his season, get to the semifinal, where obviously he is an eighty nine point seven percent favorite according to Tennis Abstract against Jerry Shang. You do wonder. I mean, Jerry can just continue to swing freely, but it's a different sort of monster that Andre Rublev forehand and that pace into the Jerry Shang backhand wing and just that pace in general. I do wonder while Jerry's movement has improved. Is it ready to face that sort of elite pace? I don't know if the answer to that question is yes yet, so I'm looking forward to watching that one unfold. I really like the bottom half semifinal as well. Sebastian Ofner, 4-4 four four over Roberto Bautista Gu. I'm telling you, watch him hit backhands. It's just special. His contact point can do anything off of that wing, slice included. And then he just catches you napping because you don't think he's going to snap the forehand with his technique, and then all of a sudden he'll slap one by you. The guy is just... Fit as a fiddle as well. 
big semifinal for Ofner, who again is sitting at a career high right now, 37 in the live rankings. He'll take on Emil Rusevori, who gets a much-needed semifinal, sends him back up to 60 in the live rankings. Rusevori, he just had Pavel Kotov on the defensive the entirety of that match. Rusevori ultimately 3-6 and six through to the semifinals, 61% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Rublev, though, now the prohibitive favorite to win the event at 70.2%. If that's your undercard event, again, our semifinals on the men's side are what? Rublev Shang, Ofner Rusevori in Hong Kong, in Brisbane. You've got Hogaruna, of course, taking on Roman Safulin, Jordan Thompson versus Grigor Dimitrov. Do I like the women's side semifinals a little bit better? Not just a little bit. I just like them better. But Aruna, Dimitrov, I mean, all these guys still alive. In terms of top 50 players still alive. Rublev, Runa, Dimitrov. Sefulin, Ofner, all still alive. And then, of course, in United Cup, you've got Manorino, Dimenauer, Hercots, and Zverev. So, yeah, it's going to be a really fun championship weekend in all of our tour-level events. Of course, on the Challenger, WTA 125K side of things, just to offer you that final update since we've been looking at them all week. In Canberra, 18-year-old Jakob Menchik going to take on top seed Dominic Kopfer. Kopfer, three sets to knock out former Kentucky All-American Gab Diallo. Menchik, 5-5, five and five, very impressive win over former top 50 guy and still 21, 22 years old. Brandon Nakashima, good win for Kopfer, who, by the way, 0-1 in his career against Menchik. Menchik beat him in the Prague Challenger final last year on clay 4-3. This time, it's on the hard courts. The all-French Challenger Finals going to feature Luca Pui versus Val Vastro. You've also got Enzo Coacaud taking on Arthur Cazzo in Oeris. We've still got quarterfinal action underway. Actually, no, your semifinals are set. Igor Gerasimov going to take on Gasto Elias. Valentin Royer going to take on Max Kaznikowski. On the WTA 125K side of things, it'll be Harriet Dart taking on Nuria Parisas Diaz. Dart, who I always say, Makes brilliant contact with the ball. 7-5 in the third. She knocks out Katie Volley. Nets Paris as Diaz 4-6 over Clara Tossin. That's where things stand across our tour-level events as we approach our first championship weekend of the 2024 season, of course. As such, we will be back tomorrow, Sunday, to break down all of the action for all of you listeners. Is our way of saying thank you for continuing to tune in day in, day out. Of course, the reason we're able to have these podcasts for you is because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, as well as the support I get from our dear super producer, Daniel Westoff. A thank you to him, as always. Uh, thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to tune in day in, day out as well. It is sincerely appreciated. With all of that said, though, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.